So a few months ago, we were working on planning this sermon series, Faith at the Movies. And somewhere in the midst of it, one of the staff members floated the idea of doing this zombie movie as part of our summer series. To which I and several of the other staff members said, yes, that sounds like a great idea. Their response was, great, you preach it. (laughs) If you're not familiar with warm bodies... It's an unusual kind of love story. Uh, It is billed as the greatest zombie romance ever told. (laughs) Have no doubt that that's the truth because I think it's the only zombie romance ever told. But if there's only one lesson that you can pull from this, it is simply that love can warm the coldest heart. Now, there are plenty of zombie movies in existence today. George A. Romero is considered the king of zombie movies. He's made many of the traditional Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Living, Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead. That's all uh, George Romero, the scary zombies popping out everywhere and chasing you around type of movies. In recent years, we've also come up with zomcoms. They are zombie comedies. This is a little bit different from all of that. It is a post-apocalyptic movie, but it's a love story. It's a love story between people that live on two different sides. Now, this apocalypse had happened about eight years prior to this particular movie. The two main characters are Julie and R. Julie is one of the surviving humans. She is the daughter of the colonel who is the leader of this group of surviving humans. R, on the other hand, is a zombie living in an airport after the apocalypse. The movie introduces us to two different types of zombies. There are skeletons and there are corpses. Corpses are the ones who look a little like us, maybe with just a bite mark on the neck or on the arm where skeletons are ones who look devoid of almost any human characteristic at all. We're told that these are the zombies who have lost all hope. They are hopeless in this world. Now, the humans and the zombies see things from two completely different perspectives. And if you haven't seen the movie, I thought I'd introduce you to those two perspectives. The first comes from R in the very beginning of the film. I don't want to be this way. I'm lonely. I'm lost. I mean, I'm literally lost. I've never been in this part of the airport before. I wonder if these guys are lost too. Wandering around but never getting anywhere. Do they feel trapped? Do they want more than this? Am I the only one? R is lost feels almost a little hopeless, but he wants more. He's wondering if he's the only one amongst his group that wants more than what there is, more than just an endless repetition of hunger and eating people day in and day out. The humans have a different perspective on this, and Colonel Grigio, the the leader, offers that perspective here. 
Hello, and thank you for your service today. In the eight years since this plague destroyed our world... You think we're getting the stuff for the cure? Since we erected this wall... No one believes in a cure anymore, for counted on young volunteers like you to gather resources from beyond the wall. But first, a word of caution. Corpses look human. They are not. They do not think. They do not believe. Whether they were your mother or your best friend, they are beyond your help. They are uncaring, unfeeling, incapable of remorse. Sound like anyone you know, Dad? Just picture them as this. There's a word of hopelessness on both sides. Julie and her ex-boyfriend are sitting there talking with one another, saying, do you think we're going out to try and find medicine for a cure? Nobody believes in a cure anymore. Hopelessness. And there's this great chasm between the two where one group sees the the other group as less than. The humans see the zombies as less than human. They're unthinking, uncaring, unfeeling. They may look like your family, but they are nothing like your family, is the warning. They are other, they are less, of less value and less worth. Now, basic zombie lore agrees with this, that zombies are not really human anymore. It agrees that uh, the only way to stop a zombie is to somehow... uh, Eliminate the brain. That is the way to end a zombie attack. And so the humans seek to defend themselves by devaluing this other group. As silly as that sounds in the movie, it's something that we do in our society, in our culture, in our daily lives. We look at our brothers and sisters children of God, and see them as something other than loved, cherished by their Creator. We try and cast them aside, giving looks of derision, words of scorn, or simply ignoring them to the point that they feel lost, hopeless, as though there's no other way. We live in a fractured world. Now, there's a a group in the state of Florida called the Coalition of Immokalee Workers. This coalition is a human rights-based organization. They're made up of workers in the field. These are the people that pick, collect, harvest the food that you eat every day. In particular, the Coalition of Immokalee Workers is made up primarily of individuals that pick the tomatoes, that make the delicious cheeseburgers that you eat, that bring a little life to the salad that you have with dinner. They are trying to create a fair food program in which they are encouraging buyers to pay one penny more per pound of tomatoes that you buy. It's not a whole lot. One penny per pound more is not a whole lot, but that penny per pound would make it so that they could have a good living, healthier lifestyle. But too many of the buyers are refusing 
to sign this fair food program, this fair food agreement. They won't pay a penny per pound more. It costs too much. And what about you? Could you pay a penny more per pound for tomatoes? It's not that bad. But they are seen and they are treated as the other, cast aside, looked down upon, and ignored. Are there times in your life when you look down on or cast aside or count somebody as the other? Somebody maybe of a different religion, of a different background, maybe someone who shuts themselves in, who keeps to themselves. You say, well, we don't talk to that particular neighbor. They're a little strange, pushing them farther into that hole. Maybe they have a different job that you value a little less than your own. Maybe they're of a different sexual orientation. Maybe they're homeless. And we consider that they're in that because they just don't work hard enough. Just didn't have the right breaks. In looking down on or ignoring, we are creating this gap between our brothers and sisters. We are pushing them outside, valuing them less, and creating the other. But Scripture offers us a different look and a different eye on how we should treat our brothers and sisters. John 13, 31 through 35 is part of the final farewell and discourse between Jesus and his disciples. This happens during the Last Supper in which Jesus and the Twelve are gathered in the upper room. The beginning of the meal, Jesus goes and washes the disciples' feet, an act of sacrificial and servant love. He dines with them, breaks bread with them, and offers them the sign of a new covenant. The end of the meal, we're told, and we're getting into John 13, 31 through 35, he got up and left the room. Now the he that they referred to in today's scripture reading was Judas Iscariot, who saw Jesus' ethic of love and had a hard time often adopting that as his own. So Judas Iscariot gets up and leaves the room, and after he's left, Christ turns to his disciples and offers these words. He sums up this new commandment, what we are to do into one simple four-letter word. He calls us to be generous to others, to be sacrificial in our lives, to be unselfish using our lives for others. This one little word Christ asks and commands is to love. knowing that love can warm even the coldest of hearts. Sometimes that cold heart is the one that we would consider the other. Sometimes that cold heart is our own. But Jesus knew and knows that love can warm even the coldest of hearts. Christ claims that what he lays upon us is nothing less than a new covenant. 
A new commandment, rather. Different than the law of the Old Testament. Now, in in the Old Testament, there are many examples of a new way of living or of this sacrificial way of living. You see the forgiveness and generosity of Joseph, the moving magnanimity of Moses. Here and there you see these examples of love and sacrifice. Christ lifts this up as a new commandment for each and every one of us. Love one another, we are told. By this, by this, others will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What Christ asks is not that we avoid doing harm, for we can avoid doing harm and still lack love. What Christ asks is that we do good, that we love one another. In this one small scene, Christ adds a new hemisphere to the moral world. No longer is it just about avoiding doing harm. It is about offering love. The Christian ethic is an ethic of love. Christ is saying you can follow the Ten Commandments and miss the boat entirely. You can follow all the law of the scriptures and not get it right. But if you do this one thing, this one thing, the rest will fall in line and will follow. And this last, this one thing, is thou shalt love. My commandment to you is nothing less than this. Jesus says to his disciples and to us today, that you love one another even as I have loved you. That's a pretty high watermark if you look at the way that Jesus loved his disciples, if you look at the way that Jesus loved the other through Scripture. It was a love that led obediently even to the cross. The cross is the standard that we should live up to and love others by, sacrificial and giving. Now in the movie, Warm Bodies, R and Julie from these two opposing sides meet one another. And they meet one another in the traditional way that a zombie and a person would meet in a love story, in a, in a zombie story. The humans are out scavenging for what they need to survive and they come across the zombie horde that races in and attacks. But you see something a little different in this one. Because as soon as R sees Julie, the music changes. No longer is it this tense and scary scene. Instead, you hear this bright and flowery and cute music. The music of love at first sight. In the middle of this zombie scene, R saves Julie, takes her back to his home, an old jetliner. And there she stays for a few days, and during her stay, their relationship begins to grow. There, Julie begins to see R as something more than just the other. And we'll see that here.
eventually they leave the the jetliner, they leave the airport, and they start to go back to Julie's home, the, the city. And as they're traveling, at one point, they stop for the night. Julie turns to R and recounts how she sees him changing. She says, but you didn't eat me. You rescued me, like a bunch. It must be hard being stuck in there. You know, I can see you trying. Maybe that's what people do. You know, we try to be better. Sometimes we got to suck it up. But I look at you, and you try so much harder than any human in my city. You're a good person, R. And there we start to see that love is beginning to warm the coldest of hearts, zombie's heart. But he's beginning to become more and more human again. It's love that begins to change Julie and R into something new and different. Julie, who no longer fears the other. And R, who is becoming more and more alive again. something that we are called to do, to love the other in a way that changes ourselves and changes the ones that we see as the other, that we begin to bring and draw one another closer to each other. And there is pain because we still live in a broken world. And this past week, I stumbled across a news story in which two high school girls committed suicide over a weekend. Now, the story was very similar to many that we've heard over the years, where a person is bullied, ignored, overlooked, uncared for, and devalued to the point that they feel they have nothing left but hopelessness and no other option. But what followed in the rest of the story was something amazing. You see, two seniors in that particular high school went into the school one night. They bought thousands of post-it notes and stuck post-it notes in and on every single locker in the entire school with a simple message. Three words. You are loved. It's what we are called to do today. We are called to look to those that the, that the world would call other, unworthy, valueless, and tell them you are loved. One of the core values here at Hyde Park is that we are a group of individuals that seek to be warm-hearted. At Hyde Park, we acknowledge and affirm that we are a joyful loving and laughing congregation. And we experience the grace of God in Jesus Christ in personal and positive ways. Joyful, loving, and laughing enough to watch a zombie movie and preach on it on Sunday. (laughs) But loving in such a way that we would reach out to our brothers and sisters and say, you are loved. 
Now, Warm Bodies is an unusual film indeed, but one that highlights what love for neighbor looks like. The very last, one of the very last scenes of this movie offers that image of neighborly love. Scripture tells us no greater love has a person that they would lay down their life. Seeing the, other, seeing the other as a person of value in this movie leads to changes on both sides. There's a scene in which Julie and R approach a horde of zombies, corpses, the ones that still look human, that still have at least a modicum of hope. Those zombies are changing into something new because they see themselves be beginning to be valued, beginning to be seen as something different, begin to find hope again. The zombies begin to change. The, the cure in and of itself is nothing more than love. The humans on the other side begin to see the zombies changing begin to accept them, welcome them in, and teach them how to live again. The most staunch defender and aggressor against the, the zombies, Colonel Grigio, at the end of the movie, has to admit. He says, the situation has changed. We live in a world where the situation has changed, where love can warm even the coldest of hearts, warms our hearts when we find ourselves cold and uncaring. And as we show love, it can warm the heart of the other that we have cast aside. This new command is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate. And it is profound enough that most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. And yet, as Julie says to R, I see you trying. You try so much harder than any other person. Perhaps as we offer love, even when we slip and fall short, we should stand up and try again. May love warm our hearts that we would offer love to our neighbors, our brothers and our sisters, that we would begin to see the other 
as a person of worth and value. Let us pray. Creator of the universe, you made the world in beauty and restore all things in glory through the victory of Jesus Christ. We pray that wherever your image is still disfigured by poverty, sickness, selfishness, war, and greed, the new creation in Jesus Christ may appear in justice, love, and peace to the glory of your name. O oh God, your Son remained with his disciples after his resurrection, teaching them to love all people as neighbors. As his disciples in this age, we offer our prayers on behalf of the universe in which we are privileged to live and our neighbors with whom we share it. Amen.